The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IONS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Well, today we have the pleasure of continuing with uh, Dr. Dino Kazanis, who has uh, been talking about the reintegration of physics and um, science generally with uh, the mystical. And he has studied uh, both extensively. Um, Dean, uh, Dino received his uh, doctorate in biophysics at the University of uh, Pennsyl- State University of Pennsylvania um, and uh, served as a Peace Corps volunteer where he acquainted himself with Africa, being uh, giving his service in Nigeria and Kenya. In addition, he studied Tibetan Buddhism. Uh, he has studied uh, with the physician, the former physician to His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, and um, has studied Qigong with probably far more discipline than I ever gave to, to my study of it, and uh, has authored an amazing little book called The Re- Reintegration of Science and Spirituality. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. If you have not listened to last week's show, I would strongly suggest that you go back to our past shows button and listen uh, to what we were talking about last week. Um, Dino, welcome to NDE Radio once again. Thank you. Where we left off was a fairly long discussion of the nature of dark matter and and its uh, correlation to subtle bodies in, in, the, in the mystical uh, and primarily, and I guess the, the history of the mystical going back to the Middle Ages and back as far as Egypt and perhaps before that. And um, dark matter, just for the audience's sake, is unlike normal matter because normal matter for us is, is the things that we see and the things that we touch. But that only makes up about 5% of stuff in the universe. The rest of it, the vast majority of it, is this invisible, untouchable dark matter and dark energy. Now, I wanted to ask you as a starting question. In your book, you quote uh, C.W. Leadbeater as um, saying the soul of man has not one body, but many bodies. And I I got this image of Russian nesting dolls, (laughs) (laughs) souls within souls. How how do you explain uh, what he's driving at? Well, what I think really pointing out is that this, there are you know multiple subtle bodies. So I think, uh, to my mind, one of the subtle bodies, as I mentioned, is the soul, and that's the part of us which uh, reincarnates. So, I, in fact, I would define the soul, uh, for my purposes, as the the part of us which reincarnates. So it's a very, 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 very subtle. Matter. It's much more subtle than the etheric matter, uh, or or what they call the East, the pranic matter. So uh, it's uh, much more uh, subtle than that. So it's uh, several layers back. So again, what we're talking about is really uh, multiple periodic tables, multiple types of atoms. Um, the only ones that are made of charged matter are the ones we uh, see in our uh, daily life, in our normal state of consciousness. Uh, 
in the east, that would be called the uh, Anna Mather. Uh, and to me, it's I, should, I would just call it charge Mather. Uh, other types of Mather they talk about in the east are the Prana Mather, Mono Mather, Vijnana Mather. Actually, those are the names of the subtle bodies. So I think each of those subtle bodies is a, a unique uh, form of matter. So what he's uh, talking about, let me just talking about, are, you know, all of those bodies that are normally invisible to us. And they really don't lay, sit on layers outside of us. They're, they're, part of them might be outside of us, but they're actually within us. Uh, the reason they can be within us is because they're not made of charged matter. So they can interpenetrate our uh, visible body, which is made up of charged matter. Uh -huh. and, and there's a lot of uh, external phenomena going on involving that matter as well, which is uh, totally invisible to us. So um, it's uh, that's the one of the simpler pictures that I'm talking about using uh, uh, you might say the Indian system of, of four or five subtle bodies. Um, now, let me ask you, um, when uh, we have an out-of-body experience, um, we can't touch things. Our hands apparently pass right through things, but we can see them. I mean, when somebody rises up out of their body during an operation, they can see the doctor's trying to restart their heart. They can see all of the equipment being used. And even though they can float through a wall and not be stopped by it, they can see uh, the, the, what we call the real world on the other side. So is that a, is that a, a, a transitional space that we're, we're in at that point? Yeah, we usually uh, refer to that as the, the astral body that actually uh, moves out and uh, travels. And it is interesting that we can uh, see that, but the more subtle bodies seem to be like inclusive of the uh, uh, of the other bodies that they can, to a certain extent, interact with them. So the uh, the uh, the astral body can really interact uh, to a certain extent with the with the charged body or the visible body, but they can also see it. So uh, these are really things that need to be explored much uh, deeply as you get into the more subtle bodies like the mental body it seems to be inclusive of the of the astral body and the etheric body and, and the visible body so but <clears throat> the mental body seems to have to according to what the mystics seem to say that like if you talk about the mental body it really has to interact with the visible body through the astral body and the etheric body, it doesn't interact with it uh, directly. Do you see uh, physics a description of um, what's described in the Tibetan Book of the of the Dead as the Bardo? The Bardo, uh, I would uh, again think that that's really the after death experience deals primarily with the soul, which is going to be moving on. Uh, in in the bardo, which refers really to the gap uh, at, into another uh, uh, yet to be determined or another body, that's got to be a very very different state of mind from what we uh, <laughs> normally encounter. I tell you, the states of minds of some of these uh, 
subtle body uh, experiences are are so other that people often have a difficult time not only talking about them but even remembering them to talk about. So it's uh, uh, again it's remarkable that like the Tibetans have have developed this book that talks about the experience between uh, death and rebirth. And uh, uh, it's as good as I guess you can do to communicate with our consciousness on uh, this level. You had a, a lovely quote from, um, from Dante Alighieri in, in the opening of your book, uh, part of which was, I have seen things which cannot be told possibly by anyone who comes down from there. And uh, in, a, in a way, that's what you're saying, that it's, it's so hard to put these things into words, which, of course, is what endy ears tell me all the time. It's so hard to describe what I saw. Um, uh, let me ask you the, a physical question that's always um, crossed my mind when I hear stories of near-death experiences. How does the soul or the subtle body communicate what it experienced to the physical brain, which is what's relating the story to, to, to another person. Boy, well, that's, <clears throat> that's really good. I, I think, uh, I mean, just the uh, ability of some of these mystics to convey uh, any of the information they're getting on those very, uh, subtle levels is is really remarkable. You know, I really feel that all religions, uh, the core of all religions, is somebody who had that profound experience on the highest level that is uh, even beyond imagination that you can't really communicate it to anybody else. Uh, I mean, there's just no way. We, you, you can't use words. You can't use images. You, it's, you know, if it's beyond imagination, it's beyond everything we know. And uh, uh, it's not. And I think every religion starts with that, and then they kind of have to make up, to a certain extent, they either uh, they try to talk about those profound experiences or. Or uh, which they know no one's going to understand, or they just—it's going to be misinterpreted, and uh, in some ways they just may have to make stuff up to get us to comprehend. It's not only the the great spiritual teachers, unfortunately, because it's so uncommunicable that it gets easily lost after even a generation or two. But it's not only the great spiritual teachers. You can go back to the, you know, philosophers like uh, Plato, who uh, points out quite clearly that uh, when he uses that allegory in the cave, I mean, he just says, you know, everybody's looking at these shadows. One person breaks away is able to see the reality where the shadows are coming from, but he cannot possibly communicate uh, what's going on to the people who are stuck looking at the shadows and if he tries to he says for sure they'll think i'm crazy and this is the predicament that he anybody who's had a profound spiritual experience is in if you try to talk about it for sure uh, you will think them crazy most people would most people keep these experiences to themselves spiritual teachers 
tend to develop, try to develop at least methods for people to have these experiences. And uh, that's, that's why all these techniques of rituals uh, and such were developed to get people into higher states of consciousness. It usually starts with some sort of a basic meditation, but it's, uh, you know, it's a difficult path to, to get there and obviously not too many of us do. <laughs> and you can spend a lot of time trying to, but it's always worth the effort mm -hmm. as far as you can, I guess. In your own experience with all the study you did, did you have you found that you can rise to a higher state of, of uh, meditation? Um, at, at this point, I'm not too pleased with my state of meditation. <laughs> but I have had some, uh, I'd say, enough of a glimpse in my lifetime to uh, at least be convinced that uh, mystical teachings, you know, are real. And everybody has maybe a preferred way of talking about it. I really like the way Plato discusses it, even though he doesn't talk about methods. Uh, apparently, Plato went to the Pythagorean school and probably had his enlightenment experience there. Uh, but at the Pythagorean school, people apparently were sworn to secrecy. So I don't think uh, you, you don't find any of the teachings. So what's lacking for me in Plato is, is only that there really isn't a, a, a methodology to, to reach these experiences. And I suppose it's safer that way because often this is difficult or it can get you into trouble trying to do it on your own without, you know, finding a, having a, a teacher. But, uh, I also, of course, very much like Taoism uh, and, uh, and Tibetan Buddhism and Zen Buddhism. Uh, I, I kind of prefer the teachings that are uh, what you could say are non-theistic where you're not dealing with the concept of God, because uh, I've just seen too too much teachings go too far astray. All all religions have that potential, but somehow in uh, our Western world, when we have people actually preaching hatred as some sort of spiritual practice, it's just uh, discourages one very much. So. Uh -huh. <laughs> Certainly does, especially these days. Um, yeah, it's just crazy. I, I wanted to ask you, um, being uh, myself Christian, uh, there's um, if in your book there's a discussion of if matter is not held together or the particles are not electric in, by nature, could they possibly be held together by chi energy? Well, and I thought. I thought maybe you could describe what chi is and, and uh, how that might work. Okay, well, what I would uh, say with chi or, or prana, and uh, sometimes chi is used for various levels, but I would tend to view prana or chi as a form of matter, just like, uh, uh, you know, we have atoms that uh, positively charged nucleus and electron going about it. Well, chi has... Uh, same type of uh, structure. You have uh, some sort of nucleus with some sort of particle traveling around it. And much like the electron can emit uh, electromagnetic waves, uh, the, uh, 
the uh, chi matter can also emit what I would call chi waves, which uh, can produce some sort of vision. So I, I see it as very analogous to uh, everyday charged matter, but it's uh, more subtle, more profound, and more capable, closer to, you could say, the mind matter and, uh, and maybe more influenced by it. Uh, but, you know, you really have to, I just see it as other types of atoms loose in the universe, but playing a very vital role. Um, you know, the, if you look at the chakras in the body we and the nadis, we have a, a central channel that's made up of this chi or prana going right up the center of us. And we have uh, two uh, smaller channels going up uh, each side of it. And these are utilized uh, a lot in uh, in the kundalini practices along with the uh, chakras. So they are structures uh, that are uh, just, uh, you know, uh, made of different matter. They're different and uh, they're more necessary. I mean, we couldn't exist without the subtle bodies. We just don't know that. Mm. I often, you know, when I just coming out of a Christian tradition, I often compare uh, chi to the Holy Spirit um, or, or grace flowing down, um, to put it in more Christian terms. But uh, qigong is a is a powerful study. I, I, I got a lot out of it in the couple of years that I was doing it. I wanted to ask you while we still have time about, I guess it's... Uh, is it uh, Sheldrake that talks about the the Gaia hypothesis that uh, Earth has subtle bodies of its own, and that there's a well, consciousness that uh, that the Earth itself and the nonosphere? I guess that's the other term for it. Yeah, and I forget who talked about that. Sheldrake, Rupert Sheldrake, mostly talks about. Uh, uh, let's see, what does he call those? Uh, the well, uh, Morphogenesis. Morphogenesis, right. He deals more with uh, the idea of morphogenesis, but to me, you know, what he's really talking about are subtle bodies. I don't. I find a lot of people who get into these phenomenal experiences start, uh, you know, developing their own languages for whatever reason. Sometimes they'll borrow it from others, but yeah, I also feel that Gaia is uh, real. I mean, I think the Earth is really immersed in uh in in dark matter or subtle matter which uh would that be surprising and and it is uh, we can have a communication with that and i do think we uh, you know the points of Jung and freud developing the idea of the of the unconscious i think is really profound i think most of that unconscious can be connected with again uh, subtle matter and subtle bodies, so I think there's a lot. Uh, I mean, if if uh, science can open up to these uh, subtle phenomena through, you know, the analysis of dark matter, there's a lot that science can bring to the table here. Things that we really don't know yet. What about uh, quantum? How do you how do you uh, integrate quantum into your studies? 
Well, basically, to my mind, uh, quantum mechanics has two things that uh, really told us about. One is that matter isn't uh, solid, that uh, it, it, uh, most of the matter is concentrated in a very small nucleus, so that, uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, things can kind of pass through it. The other thing quantum brought, brings to mind is our knowledge that on the atomic level, or subatomic level, that even objects really don't uh, bump into each other or touch. They all interact through forces. So if there's not a force interacting between two objects, uh, they will pass right through each other. There's nothing to uh, prevent them from doing so. And right now at this point, I mean, there's only, we could say five basic forces in the universe. There's the, uh, the nuclear force, the strong and the weak, that's two of them. There's the electromagnetic force, which is a in point out is our entire consciousness in this in this world, our you know, common world, because we exist in a world of atoms made of charge, and, and that's what we experience all the time. And of course there's gravity which we really don't experience directly. And then there's uh, uh, the Higgs uh, force or the Higgs boson, which was presumably recently uh, discovered. So that's, those are all the forces they know right now. What, uh, if there are other types of atoms in this universe, there will be a lot more forces discovered that these more subtle atoms interact through. Mm. It'll be a different window. Now that uh, the Bose, that particle that they discovered in CERN, the boson, which they called the God particle. Yeah. It, it, somewhere I read that that is what makes matter possible. That physical matter is materialized on account of that particle. Yeah, basically it, uh, you could say it slows down uh, matter to, or energy, you could say, to the point where it becomes uh, matter-like. So, uh, you know, we may hear more about that. There could be more uh, interesting stories. The thing about the Higgs boson they discovered is that the mass they were expecting it to be is is way off from what the theory was predicting. So, they. Uh, you know, in time, something else may come of that as they discover uh, more and more dark matter. One of the things I like to point out, too, is that uh, right now they are trying to discover uh, dark matter through the Large Hydron Collider by slamming protons together and hopefully producing uh, dark matter out of it, which they hope they know how to detect. But I, I keep feeling they're working backwards because it isn't protons that created dark matter. It was dark matter that created protons. So mm. I think they can slam those protons together for as long as they want. I don't think they're going to find uh, any uh, dark matter. They may find something they think is dark matter. And one other thing I like to point out is that they may already have had, discovered a dark matter particle and it would be the neutrino, which is an uncharged particle. But uh, dark matter cannot be made up of uh, all the dark matter in the universe. can't be made up of uh, 
neutrinos that are well aware of that. But what the neutrino nessus, uh, nevertheless could be like a part of a, a dark matter uh, atom. In fact, the neutrino could play a part of, a, of the electron in a dark matter atom. Mm -hmm. And what uh, that that's something I suggested uh, once upon a time. Uh, and the reason I like that idea is that it's uh, like the uh, electron, the lepton is, uh, the neutrino is a lepton, they're both leptons, so they have like, in a sense, similar properties. But their mass is uh, astronomically different. So the neutrino is probably, so the mass is so small, they've never been able to measure it. They can just give an upper limit on it. And it would probably be like uh, one billionth the mass of the electron, which is not all that great. One millionth, <laughs> that could mean instead of there being four or five times the mass, dark matter makes up maybe four or five times uh, as much mass as there is uh, visible matter. Uh, it could be four or five million times if, if uh, as far as the number of atoms go. So, I mean, it could be literally, it could be these atoms of subtle matter could be astronomically greater in number. Uh, so there are all kinds of things that could exist that we have no idea. So way beyond our imagination, even on that level. <laughs> mm -hmm. Do you suppose that time would be a dimension within dark matter, or is that is that a an existence that w could exclude time? I think what uh, what people have this what mystics have discovered is when you get into the consciousness of these other forms of matter, that time is is quite different, time and space. So I think the matter that uh, one is conscious of creates a time and space, and it's all one thing. Uh, Matter, time, are kind of one large group of stuff, and it gets uh, the time gets very, very, very uh, you could say slow. With <clears throat> I've heard some uh, teachers talk about entering some uh, very subtle aspects of matter where time is essentially a standstill. It's very moving, very, very, very slow. So. I think that's quite real. When you get all the way to pure consciousness, of course, there uh, is no time or space. There's just uh, consciousness. <laughs> right. That's that's when the consciousness of objects disappears and pure consciousness emerges. That's. Uh, mm -hmm. I guess Evans Wentz wrote wrote about that. At the moment of death, that's what happens. Yeah. Well, maybe. Yeah. Maybe for him, maybe for some of us, there's a, a subtle amount of time, but it's certainly a different time in the Bardo, I would say, a different sense of time completely. Yeah. You know, even in our dreams, we have a different sense of time and space. Uh, oh, yes. And people who've, who've only been dead for a matter of seconds will come back feeling like they've been in that other area for, you know, weeks or even months that they experienced so much. And... Uh, and really, you know, they were resuscitated within a minute. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, it's just it's just very different. So, 
you know, I, uh, I'm sure there are people who mystics who have had a lot of these experiences who probably could go into great detail uh, on it. But, uh, but you know, I, I could, I'm, what I'm doing is just giving a really a basic outline. In fact, my book is really just kind of a basic outline of what's uh, potentially out there. Clearly, I could, people have written uh, paragraphs, uh, paragraphs, books on almost every uh, section of my book, literally. Yeah. Do you think uh, ultimately that there'll be uh, a coming together, a meeting of the minds of, um, of, of spirituality and science? Uh, I do eventually, not, not in my lifetime, but I'm hoping they will just get to the point where they recognize that there, there might be other atoms in the universe, and that may begin when they discover that maybe dark matter existed uh, before the Big Bang. So I'm hoping those two things ha happen. I don't have to mention spirituality with those two ideas. I could just say there's other types of matter, and why don't you take a look and see if dark matter could have existed before the Big Bang. <laughs> well, that's that's true. That's probably the only way that science will ever acknowledge it is if they can if they can delineate scientifically what that spiritual world is all about. Right, and I don't have to mention spirituality to get them to look at that. <laughs> <laughs> Although uh, they may be intrigued by your by your study of Eastern religions, though I I think that. Uh, will add a lot of uh, I, I, dra drama to an otherwise dull uh, spiritual or uh, uh, scientific lecture. Anyway, we are, I believe we are uh, out of time once again, you know, and I want to thank you so much for uh, doing the two shows with us. And I hope that people go out and, uh, and buy your book because I found it really fascinating. And uh, tell them tell them again where they can get uh, the reintegration of science and spirituality. Yeah, it is available on Amazon as a paperback and as Kindle. Oh, very good, very good. Well, thanks so much. And if listeners would like to listen to the first show you did with us, or, or listen to this show again, just go to our past shows button at TalkZone and uh, MDE Radio, and that will be there along with. All of our almost 400 shows we have done over the seven years. Join us again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.